Welcome to the Kernel DeFi Podcast. My name is Sean DeManta, and I'm here to explore the past, present, and future of the DeFi industry with you. Hey, everyone. This is a recording of the first live podcast that we've done as a Kernel DeFi Guild. I was joined by Danny Gattas, Julian Traversa, Greg Bateman, and Gabriel Fior. We are all co-leads of the DeFi Guild at Kernel. And we discussed a lot of the current marketing happenings on August 6th, 2022. And we went into hacks, bridges, a lot of the relevant topics that were happening at this time. And you don't want to miss it. We also have a recording of this on our YouTube channel. And we plan to include many, many more live recordings, not only with the DeFi Guild, but with some of our guests. So what follows is the recorded version of our live discussion. You don't want to miss it. Really excited to have you be able to listen to this in a podcast format. Thank you for those who have joined uh, for our first live recording. Um, we are the Kernel DeFi Guild. We had Julian with us. He should be joining again. Um, <laughs> Greg and Danny alongside Julian and maybe a couple of other guild members will join for today's today's cast. So, um, all, all right, we got Julian back on. Sorry all about right. that. I had a little bit of technical difficulties. <laughs> all good, man. So we, we are live on YouTube and Twitter. Um, once again, follow us on Kernel DeFi Pod for updates. Um, we are going to talk about a lot of different topics today. Let's see what we can get uh, get get our hold on. Actually, Danny, I, I wanted to see, not to call you, I wanted to see if you could just describe to the audience what Kernel DeFi Guild is and some of the projects we've, uh, we've kind of planned as well before we get yeah. started. Yeah, so, so first, maybe it's just, just for anybody who happens to be here isn't familiar with Kernel. Uh, Kernel in itself is, a, I would say, a very intentional online learning community or, or digital online community with an emphasis on Web3 and uh, applying blockchain technologies. Take some of the, the best builders who are, I would say, kind of at ID, idea phase or maybe farther along in their, their protocol and looking for a sense of community and uh, kind of brings them, you know, or they apply and it's a, it's a fellowship that they can get into. Um, it's a very special community and I'm, I'm honored to be here from a DeFi perspective. And that's what I think all unifies us, right? Is uh kernel in itself has different guilds, right? Um, see NFTs, uh, you know, community, um, you know, I could see metaverse being one eventually as well, but we are part of the DeFi guild, the decentralized finance guild. Um, and we all are co-leads in that effort and, um, really have the opportunity, I think, to kind of help organize, uh, uh the kernel community around DeFi and provide educational opportunities as, and, and that ultimately enable them to, to for progress in their building and protocols. Um, and we've done some, I would say some really cool stuff, you know, it, again, kernel's very informal, um, uh, in its, in its structure, but. We've had the opportunity to, to provide mentorship to those interested in uh, DeFi, bring on amazing guests um, as a part of fellowship, uh, you know, when the fellowship is going on. Um, and then as well, we're looking to do some really cool things, I think, in this next guild, um, you know, a, a, like a collaborative building project where uh, individuals could opt in and build, learn how to build DeFi protocols in a safe and, and playful environment, as well as um, you know, this podcast just kind of really continuing to promote and shine light on, uh, the, the builders and members of, uh, you know, the kernel community, uh, albeit if they are, you know, a dedicated DeFi builder or, you know, peripheral connected and everything kind of touches DeFi in the sense of, you know, way money moves. But, um, so it, it, it's a really good opportunity, uh, to, to, to be here today and with all, all of you doing this. Awesome. I think just a quick thing. I don't know if we're live yet on YouTube. Just a heads up. Sean said we were. I just looked and it says we're, they're still waiting. So yeah, I, I'm 
we can just go. I don't know. You guys, uh, you guys talk while I figure out the, uh, the technical details, but, uh, what one topic to tee things up is, uh, DeFi has been in the headlines recently, um, over the last couple of months, probably for all the wrong reasons, unfortunately, um, hacks, Ponzi's, et cetera. Do you guys to just talk about some of the more interesting ones? I know, uh, Julian, you were, you, you were in the front lines for the very rare hack. Um, Gabriel, you, you were, you were in jump crypto's office during the Terra collapse. So I, I think those are some interesting, uh, storylines to go into if you guys don't mind sharing. Uh, Gabriel, you want to start? Go for it. Maybe you can start, Julian. Uh, go ahead. Interested sure. in your fate. <laughs> um, and I mean, I think there's also a couple of new ones to, worth talking about that aren't necessarily hacks, but are on the topic of security, right? Um, specifically, um, for, for the last session or the last cohort, we had on uh, Alberto Cuesto Canada from Yieldproof um, to talk security. And actually within the past month, both he and I have had our own security issues, not okay. issues. We say like no one's lost any money, but like our, our own, uh, either white hats or pause contracts and operations. And it, it kind of does speak a little bit to our point previously, which was they're just going to happen. Um, but yeah, I, I'm on the topic of the Ferrari stuff, right? That's honestly an entire shit show still. Um, people are extremely critical today. Um, I don't know how much you guys paid attention. Oh, yeah, you're, you're, uh, one second. I can hear the YouTube now and I didn't realize I still had to go. Uh, um, it is still a complete shit show. And, and, and the important thing to note is that the bug that was live in the February code had been there for a little while. It was there for like three to four months. Mm. It had been introduced literally by a suggestion that a, uh, an auditor from Quantstamp had recommended. Um, and, and, and realistically, it wasn't something that for the most part, people would be able to acknowledge or deal with ahead. Um, right. Like there are certain things you should be able to make every unit test for everything. But in, in, in that case, um, I honestly don't blame the devs too much and, and Joe, unless there's egregious issues, like I think the nomad stuff is something that you do just blame the devs. Um, then you can't ever really blame them. And. Moving on to the next topic, which is like, how do you recover from that? And that's really where the shit show comes in on Rari's end, or Ferrari's end. It's immediately after after the uh, the hack I got on, even actually with the Ferrari community, I, I was probably the most positive person on the call because I knew that all of my protocols money was safe. Mm. Um, but uh, it, it seemed very clear talking with um, with Joey and everybody else that there was a, an extremely strong indication that they would pay everybody. That was what was implied by their doubt to begin with. And, and then within the next few days, they did a vote. And I think 90% of the snapshot voted for full reimbursement. Mm -hmm. Um, here we are two, three months later, it's about three, three months in a week. And there's no actual action in that direction. The only thing that had happened since was the actual on-chain vote when Faye, the DAO themselves completely changed 180 on that and, and rejected everything completely. Um. So I say about that, right? I think the biggest thing on our end was just being clear about our expectations and our security procedures for users. The article afterwards on how you should prepare for issues. Right? You should expect for them to happen. You should have emergency withdrawal procedures, um, and and you should just be ready to to execute them. Um, and I'm actually quite proud of my protocol in this situation because we had those ready and we were able to do it and save funds without any scary issues. Um, on yields end, they did not have any of these. And I, I spent the last 24 hours investigating their, their issue. And it turns out that they, they did successfully white hat, white hat all of their, their at risk funds, but it took them three or four tries with failed transactions to do so, which means that at any given point, anyone that is using a generalized front running bot could have found that and taken all of their money. Um, it's like fucking terrifying. So I think the really big takeaway is. Be prepared and plan into your contracts um, procedures at least for the first year or two um, to, to kind of just, oh shit, get everything out. Um, this, this whole subject, I, that's from, from my perspective, and it might be helpful for me to just say, you know, five seconds what, what I'm building. So I'm co-founder at Wind Finance and yeah. our mission is to, to accelerate adoption of, of DeFi and, and blockchain technologies. And we do that by 
informing participants about um, the rewards, but also the risks involved. And uh, it, it's tough, you know, uh, we talked to a lot of family offices and, and more uh, traditional investors and whatever reason we can give of, you know, it was this or it was that, you know, don't worry about this, you know, that they just, they just basically listen to the headlines of, you know, DeFi is too risky. Um, and so this is, this is something, this is me more lamenting than, than coming up with a solution. Um, but, you know, maybe, maybe a question and anyone could take this one is, you know, how, how can we reduce the, the surface area of this type of, uh, exploit, um, hack, uh, or, or, or weakness in, in what we're building so that, you know, we can start to, to, to say, well, it's not as risky as it used to be. I don't know if anyone wants to take that. I've got some ideas, but I don't yeah. want to take over everything. Yeah. It's, Sean, you were going to say something? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen some really interesting things, um, both on the user side, as well as the dev side. So one, um, I think people are trying to make smart contract auditing easier, uh, for, for folks. So like, I know that's a huge bottleneck for devs. It's just like, I hear horror stories of waiting six to 12 months, just to get yeah. like a one week review. Um, so I, I've talked to some teams that are automating that process. I think on the consumer side, I'm interested in companies that are focus on real-time hack protection. So, uh, being able to monitor your wallet and when you start to notice that there's drains, um, basically performing some sort of self-mev action to halt that, um, that trade, I, I think is an interesting opportunity, but curious to hear what, uh, what you all have heard as well. Like the other thing I, I just spoke with, um, with Sam Blackshear from Miston Labs and even at the programming language level, there's an opportunity to. I uh, think about how smart contract languages are designed better and, uh, that move is being used across the kind of Aptos, um, Mist and Sui level. And, and, and I think that's an opportunity for other types of controls to be put in, but it's not, it's not everything there. There's always social engineering, right? And that that's just a basic human fallacy. We can't, uh, we can't stop. You read about every day, uh, or Yacht Club influencer being hacked or something like that. So not to <laughs> poke fun at them, but um, it, it happens to all of us. But love yeah. to hear what you all have to say. Danny, it seems like you want to say. I think it's like, you know, Sean, you wrote up like two systemic risks. There's, I think there's first like issues in the code and then there's the difference between them that and social engineering. And I think social engineering will probably come, but both I think will ultimately there'll be controls to the point you started talking about some of like making smart contract more easy, more accessible, how do we automate it, right? How do we, how do we make that uh, maybe less of a, a human driven process, right? And I think ultimately you just, as you've seen things like co-pilot, I'm not, I'm not technical, but how you've seen things like understand like co-pilot and other applications that kind of help devs think write better code. I think that intrinsically will go. Also, I think like the quality of code, uh, you know, there's just so many devs coming to the space and I assume the quality of code and coders, it only compounds and gets better over time. Um, you know, so I think that there's an element of code itself getting better and, and the devs writing it better. Uh, I also think to your point that there's going to be certain applications that help. Yeah, I think it's really cool that there's like automations potentially, hey, notices and issues happening. How do we like stop and mitigate? I think ultimately though, too, there will be things to mitigate those social engineering effects, right? Like, a, I think there's already some really cool applications or ser services out there. You interaction DeFi safety. I really like what they do. I think they do good content and saying like, here's from a retail perspective, here's more and less risky protocols. Right. Um, and I think that'll, if that continue to evolve and be more, uh, quantitative, it's, 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 it's good, but it could be maybe even more quantitative and more driven, right. As they continue to look for correlations, things like that. Um, but ultimately, I think too, there's probably just going to be so many fundamental infrastructure updates. Think about how the way we use MetaMask now to the way that we use wallets in the future. It's just, I think it's just going to look fundamentally different, you know, where um, it's kind of opaque, especially when you're first coming in, like, what am I approving this transaction? Right? And I think it can become more clear and I think it will become more clear over time. And I think even things like that fundamentally help, uh, you know, help the average day consumer. Uh, but the Julian Gabriel, I'd be really curious as like what you guys think from a protocol perspective and like even talking maybe more on that dev side about how to, how to maybe get ahead of some of these things and, and 
and really kind of just like end to end, like how do you mitigate it from the code perspective and how do you maybe mitigate, how do you have established controls to mitigate when it does start to happen, right? Like what is the process? I'd just be curious what you guys think. I'm also interested in the, in Julian's take on this, but just to bring two points uh, from my own perspective, from my own dev perspective. Uh, I think that, uh, as Julian alluded to, this kind of plausible uh, characteristic of the smart contract, you can code in there, let's say, an emergency pause or a red button. You can definitely code that in. There are standards for that, for instance, for an open Zeppelin. Um, and overall, just basically defining some standards or, or best practices for these smart contracts as some of the, those IEP, EIPs that are being brought out or for the vault standard or even maybe a bridge standard, um, that those are the kind of things that, that I see uh, happening now more more than ever before in the smart contract level. Um, that that would be my take. Uh, what do you think, Julian? Yeah, I mean, I think it's extremely important, right? Uh, there's so much you can do as well once that comes from the smart contract itself, right? On our end, we have the entirety of our front end update automatically the second we pause the contracts. Right. So it's like the entirety of our security procedures is essentially at this point automated once we get our, our, um, our pause there. And, and like that's saved so much effort. We, we knew there was an issue. I found out what the issue was within 10 minutes. We paused the contracts within 20 and we had the remediation and like everything paused and good to go within 24 hours. Um, we took a week to actually do it and make sure. Um, but n nonetheless, um, that's yeah, go on. Dude, but like one thing I'd be interested in is even as you're going through this, like, lack of a better term, these chain management processes, like, yeah, the one thing that struck me and, and Sean, I think you talked about it with, with a Terra Luna episode, right? Is not only the Terra kind of like had that utter collapse, but they went the same as like AC, uh, a, you know, uh, uh, three arrows capital. They like went radio silent. So I'd be curious to like how, when you're going through this transition, like how you, Instead of the project, I'm, I definitely err on the side of actual ethical legitimacy. Um, right. So you're like one of the over to, to the extent that it doesn't create added risk. You want to, yeah, to an extent, maybe not like over communicate. We didn't immediately ping everybody because no funds were at risk. We pinged everybody like at the end of that hour after we were done with it. Right. Um, we don't have enough users where people are going to freak the fuck out when our contracts aren't available for 24 hours. Uh, yeah. So that that wasn't as big a deal for us. But the important thing, a lot of it is in in the wording, actually, of what you're saying, not about mm -hmm. what you're saying, right? And I'm actually I'm going to call out Sense Protocol, which is one of our potential competitors. I actually very much like the founders, so this is not any slight towards them or even the project. Um, but they had an issue recently where they were incorrectly distributing the yield from their protocol, and it's a yield tokenization protocol, so it's pretty integral. Um. And they had to completely migrate their contracts. And they phrased this as like not a security issue or like an actual issue, but as a like stars and like happiness, like rainbows of we're upgrading our contracts and this is such a yeah. thing. And that is the actual you know, I, I, that's I, the issue. You cannot just, just to uh, throw something in here. So, you know, w w one of the parts of our, our project that we're really working on a lot is uh, providing transparency and visibility on uh, multiple different protocols. I mean, the, the, the goal is to have an apples to apples compare across, across projects for, for common metrics. But as, as we dig in, of course, we have to look at the smart contracts to be able to, to pull the right variables and what have you. And we're discovering some kind of crazy stuff. You know, it's, it, it, it's, you know, we're oftentimes reporting, uh, inconsistencies, calculation errors. Um, you know, uh, sometimes, uh, people are doing, doing things in, in, in just funny ways and it's, it's a bit shocking. Um, and you know, just to, yeah, uh, just, just one more point. I think this segue is really, no, I just wanted to add one thing that, that I think, you know, maybe could, could, could help the situation, um, is, is another, actually another project that came out of kernel, which was DeFi safety. Um, you know. Of, it, it's it's a, a huge step in the right direction. It's not a complete solution, but you know they're they're coming up with a, a, a set of standards by which uh, DeFi are judged, and it's it's focused a lot more on on you know the documentation about the code quality. It's not a, it's not an audit, but they look at at how the audits are being done, um, and you know 
hopefully as, as there are more kind of leaders in this space of this transparency and, and, and even coming up with uh, best practices that, um, you know, we'll get to a point where people won't even participate in a project or connect with a project unless it's uh, getting a, a, you know, good enough score by independent agencies like this. So, um, but yeah, Julia, um, I think you wanted to yeah. tack onto that. Well, I think it segues really well. Actually, I thought you were also going to mention a different project coming out of Colonel yeah. um, Sherlock. And, and yeah. Sherlock started as pretty much purely an insurance vertical where they were having the same issues you were just talking about. Um, it's just extremely, it's impossible to actually price the real risk. That's just kind of the truth. So Sherlock is over time that they, they first worked with Rajiv from Securium and like a bunch of various um, security projects. And this ended up turning into them in, ending up with an entire security team. And now they're effectively an audit. Um, so in order to even get coverage through Sherlock, you have to go through their auditing process. Uh, it makes a lot of, I think that that's, that's really interesting. And, and that does, yeah, that, that, mm -hmm. that segues to my next point, which is like the, the easiest and best way is in code, in my opinion, is not to rather not encode, but is it to cover mm -hmm. through incentives. Um, I think that in the case of most teeth by protocols, you should be having a safety module. Um, this is a easy thing to throw into your tokenomics, which I very much like and helps prevent you becoming a security. Uh, but, but more than that, at a base level, it gives people confidence in your vertical. Um, they obviously has a security module and I mean, I'm going to be critical specifically on Faye. Um, the Faye Rari merger effectively turns Faye into, or it should have turned Faye into the security module mm. for Rari. That's like what it implicitly does. It's the same exact concept. Julian, yeah. Julian, what, what, what do you mean by a security module? So, so. I'll specify Aves and 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 because yeah. it's the most well known. In Swivel, we have ours as yeah. well. Obviously, if I I'm so strong about this, of course I'm going to implement it on our end. Um, but on Aves end, you you can deposit Aave tokens or Ethereum, but mostly Aave tokens. I believe it's an eighty to twenty ratio. Um, and yeah. and they provide liquidity with that on balancer. And yeah. if there's ever a hack on Aave, mm -hmm. the first people that cover those losses are those LPs, the people committing mm -hmm. their liquidity security. I think they can take upwards of 40% of that LP to cover the losses. And this is, this is a very strong way to, again, ensure people have confidence in your protocol, but moreover, the people that do have the most confidence in your protocol, the actual stakeholders, have a way to signal that confidence. Yeah. So effectively what you're saying is, right, like, the way that it's structured is LPs assume some of the risk and there ergo the LPs that come to it are like, I, I need to have confidence in this and that. Yeah. When they do have confidence in that, it signals, hey, that this is a trust. And, and it's that, right? from, from at least as an American developer's perspective, there is some defense here legally. I'm not, I'm not a lawyer, so don't actually look at this, but um, the, the idea is that the only people that are profiting off of any revenues from the protocol then like all of that revenue can be directed to these, these, these security module um, insurers, right? And then the claim cannot be that people are profiting off of the protocol. That's not what's happening. They are profiting off of their act of insuring the protocol. Um, and that is very different. That essentially changes the dynamic from being, okay, they're just profiting from buying this thing and it being a security to they actively are, are putting up their stake, doing something and earning the, that. Just the I, I, yeah, really, and I would say, you know, to tack onto this real quick, yeah. in my opinion, credibly, a credible insurance, so like high level, credible insurance of I'm protected if there's a hack, if there's um, some funky governance business going on, if, uh, you know, some bridge exploit, yeah. if, if we can bring end users credible insurance this, this kind of, it, it, it solves so many problems or for at least our mission of getting, getting, you know, more traditional people into the space because it's, you know, it's, you know, they think it's the wild west. There's all these disclaimers. Don't, you know, don't play with what you can't afford to lose. But if we keep, if we keep attaching all those disclaimers to what we're building, we're only going to build playgrounds for, for ourselves. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think 
Yeah, I mean, 100% agree. And I think for the most part, people in DeFi, at least, assume that this is there, even if it's not explicit. And it's just like this horrible relationship, right? Uh, you raise, assume that the risk is there? Or they assume, assume that there is some inflation like this, 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 from the, the DeFi fall. operates similar to TradFi and like, oh, everything, like I can get my money back. It, all of this, it, they assume like, kind of that direction, but it's like all of these DeFi pr protocols raise maybe five to $10 million. Okay. And they know that there's some valuation to these tokens. And at the end yeah. of the day, if there's a huge hack, what is going to happen? They're going to try to do as much as they can to use their treasury to backstop that risk and pay it off and pay back the users. So it's like, instead of doing this in this horrible and implicit way that leaves everyone kind of shitting their pants at last moment. Um, Got it. Yeah. Like it's, it's already like this, just make explicit programs. Yeah. I, I think this need is going to persist, especially as we see the proliferation of DeFi mullets. Um, which are basically uh, fintech, fintech on the front, DeFi on the on the mm -hmm. back, right? So consumers are going to expect the kind of security and safety of fintech, um, especially as it persists across the 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 rest of the non-US world as well. And DeFi becomes a a really valid alternative. Um, I wanted to see, Greg, you talked about insurance and you brought it up, and also others have talked about it. Have you all looked into Nexus Mutual? I know that that's been a insurance company that's been decentralized insurance protocol that's been around for a little while. Um, seen a lot of different scenarios, but what what types of insurance options exist out there right now? You guys want to go for it? Because I've done a lot of research on this and I would just what? power through. Yeah, go for it. Because I, I still, I might have heard of, of a few different projects, you know, Nexus, of course, being one, but. I still haven't found what I'm looking for, you know, in the, in the words of Bono, uh, because it, it, it leaves a lot to be desired. That's what I've heard. So, so I classify things into a few different models. Um, and it just depends on where the capital comes from and how you're pricing the, the, uh, the risk, right? So if the capital is coming from there, there are insurance companies that will just do it in a centralized way and give you insurance. This is largely for like ultra rich, I'm sure. Um, but that does exist. Then there's kind of like the DeFi in the middle, which is there's a centralized actuary, right? Like a security team that comes in and prices things. And then there's decentralized pools of cap or pools of capital that actually pay for, right? Or like are, are earning the yield. Um, and I think Sherlock counts under that model. And then if you guys maybe have heard a protocol called Insurace, they, they do as well. Um, and then there's the last, which is just like pure market pricing. And this goes in a few directions. There's either, there's kind of something called protection markets, which are very much like lending markets. Uh, this is something that Cozy Finance does, as well as the Y Insure stuff. I think they might have merged at this point. I'm not sure. Um, and then there's just like essentially betting markets, um, like binary options, where it's just, will there be a hack by X date? Yes or no. And you buy one side of it which is a completely fine way to do it. Um, so it, it, I, the only real thing I've noted so far is that um, Ensure Ace kind of blew up. Know, lose Julian. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, yeah we can okay. hear you now. Um, you yeah. Out. yeah, like, like the, the only issue so far has been that Ensure Ace, using their centralized pricing, messed up massively. Um, they price pretty much everything around 2%, including the chance of Heather risk. I'm not sorry, uh, uh, UST risk, excuse me, UST risk. Um, and this led to a ton of people buying like Mac. They, they bought out all of the coverage on insurance for the DPEG. And then we're just like eating that 20% yield, right? You're essentially locking in 18% for yourself. So uh, the protocols, that protocol is completely underwater right now. Um, well, actually, you know, we'll no, see exactly this is something that, that yeah. I wanted to tack on and why I haven't found what I'm looking for is, you know, because of these decentralized, uh, uh, options, you know, they're, they're kind of insuring themselves in a way, uh, in a, in a, in a broad sense, it, they're in the same system. Um, so when the SHIT really hits the fan, are they going to be around to, to, you know, provide that coverage? Um, you know, it, it's one thing that when, when I go to bring this to my my clients, the, you know, sorry, you know, um, uh, that's, 
know, it's not, it's not credible enough. But the other thing that I've seen is I think Nexus specifically, there is this kind of, um, decision, um, part of their process where, you know, there is some sort of incident and then there's a review, a very human manual review, and they can just arbitrarily say, well, we don't want to cover this. Um, and so that, that, that part is, it seems very unweb three to me, um, the part of kind of arbitrary, uh, manual decision-making, um, which I, I just don't think, you know, you might be paying 2%, but is it really going to be coverage at the end of the day? Seems like very uh, central. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys know maybe Claros? Have you heard of Claros? I yeah. think that's like, it's, yeah. Is that the, um, the identity? Uh, that's a different one that starts with a K, but I've heard it's pretty close. Uh, okay. Okay. We're so talking about Claros is like a decentralized court is, I don't really, I don't honestly know that much about the impl implementation or anything. But I think that's what a lot of people are turning to, to, to make these decisions about whether to actually make the payout. Um, it's like, you're supposed to trust some other, otherwise trusted jury effectively. And these people are rewarded yeah. in Claris tokens for appropriately voting towards the right decision. Does that make sense? Something like that. Who makes like, who's like, oh, you get like, who's paying out Who's making the effectively the determination that that was the right decision and ergo allocating that capital? To, I think know, the jurors the arbitral there because it just sounds like another layer of don't quote you know me. what I mean? It's, don't quote yeah, me. yeah yeah. I think if you vote with the majority, you win. So you would assume that the majority is voting right, and then it's blind, and of course then okay. yeah, like something like that. I think it's along those lines. Um, so if you vote with the majority correctly then you're rewarded. So, and also really need some content. Sorry. Uh, and if you don't vote with the majority, your stake is then slashed. I believe it is okay. something like this as well. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so, so it's, it's essentially trying to yeah. just like game theory its way into being right every time. Right. I could see some uh, dynamics. I, I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to transition into another... <laughs> Another topic. That's great. <laughs> in, in, into another topic. Um, since we have, uh, let, let, let's see, probably have maybe another 20, 30 yeah. minutes together. I wanted to talk about new narratives and metrics. So uh, TVL is one metric that I think the, De the DeFi industry at large is focused on, right? So it's... Um, if, if we look at DeFi Llama, right, the, from the peak of, let's say, 200-ish billion, we're back down to about 67 billion, but we're seeing a, an upswing here. Um, a lot of people have said, like, is TBL the right metric to use to measure DeFi protocol success? Um, just because we've seen some gaming of that, right? Solana, on Solana, we saw Sabre, just like this, uh, this guy who had 12 anon profiles who, like, good like 12 different protocols that pumped each other up, right? Basically double counting all the, up the wazoo. I know Xerox and GMI, the, the maintainer of DeFi Llama, lamented this and uh, was really disillusioned um, them in, in terms of the, the DeFi industry overall. But at the same time, we're, we're starting to see new narratives, right? So Ethereum is still the, the dominant chain by far. And part of this decreasing TVL is due to naturally token prices dropping, but when we look at some of the newer L2s, especially the ones that are introducing liquidity incentives like Optimism, they're starting to get cold. At one point, I think Optimism was taking over Polygon, and now it's over a billion dollars in um, in TBL, almost overnight with the liquidity incentives program uh, being introduced. So what I wanted to ask you all, and I'll um, stop sharing my screen right now, is... Is TVL the right metric to measure the success of the DeFi protocol? If not, like, what what should we be, what should we be using, and how um, how can we communicate that to consumers, investors, etc., to like uh, make sure that that's something that they use to judge the health yeah, of the um, system? Greg, I you know, fundamentally, a good metric needs to be tied with value capture, and ideally with uh, the now or eventual business model of 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 things. 
Um, you know, so yeah, we, I, it's hard to give it one metric that will cover all projects, but I think we can think in examples. Um, you know, if you think about um, a DEX, for example, you know, their value add is facilitating trades. And so, you know, how much, how much volume is being traded um, and then how much, although they're not currently capturing fees to the protocol, you know, there's a, a lot of rumors running around that they, they will. So um, could that be an interesting met metric, at least for a DEX? It's, you know, how much volume is, is being transacted per day. Um, it, it's a tough one, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, if it's, if it's like these inf inflated kind of incentive, uh, you know, just artificial incentive uh, uh, inflated uh, metrics, it, does, it doesn't work. Uh, so, yeah, I'm giving more problems than, than solutions, but I don't know if anyone else has a comment, an idea. I think it depends just completely on the project, right? Um, I think it makes sense for stuff like straight lending protocols where, it, I mean, their revenue is based on how much they have deposited, right? That's pretty simply all they do. Um, for folks like ourselves, it's literally a complete sham metric, right? Um, I think, it, so, so Swivel is a yield tokenization protocol that takes the, the yield-bearing deposit on places like Compound, Aave, et cetera, and splits it apart from the actual deposit itself. And this effectively means that that split um, interest is, is sort of a derivative. And on our end, the way that we make money is when people actually actively trade that derivative. Um, so we actually specifically have a bunch of competitors using AMMs. And to attract liquidity, and just in general, keep things sufficient, they have to have a way higher TPM. They have to provide incentives for the um, But what this, this leads to, again, because it's a derivative, we make nothing from that passivity, is a lot of these folks are giving out incentives, maybe like thousands a day, for what's maybe like 50 cents in revenue a day to like a dollar for some of these guys. Um, maybe more, I'm probably underselling it there, but like it's it's really nowhere close. And... On our end, I mean, we use an order book, which means things are a bit fundamentally different. And our, our incentive scheme is specifically to incentivize volume rather than TVL. This means our TVL is like maybe one tenth of someone like a competitor element, but we do yeah. more volume than everybody else combined. Um, so this means we do more, we have more revenue than everybody else combined. Uh, still, still, I don't think is quite break even, like that's the deep by thing. Um, but yeah, like it depends on the project for, for DEXs, it's, 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 it's different. Um, a lot of folks, let's say for Uniswap, um, they don't even have a protocol fee right now. Uh, I think that's actually another interesting conversation is a lot of people came out and said that the mm. average Uniswap LP is losing money, but that's the point. So I don't know if you can actually even like gauge anything on that. Um, yeah, I don't know. TLDR, it depends. Yeah. I, it yeah, I agree. So, yeah, here in revenue, volume, Gabriel, go ahead. Like you just might, yeah, sorry, said what I wanted to, to add. I was a couple of weeks back at ECC, uh, it bears. Of the, the talks I, I heard there was, was Kane there from Synthetics. And he mentioned more or less this point that, that Greg brought up regarding this product market fit of protocols. And that means instead of TPL, the metric, in his opinion, should be the fees collected by the protocol, which would then be a representative, so a KPI of this product market fit, which is very important right now, since it's a building phase, it's a bear market, or let's call it bear market right now. So, um, yeah, I completely agree with, with what you said of fees, and it's, it remains to be seen how, how it will this, this um, picture change regarding uh, collection of fees now only for LPs or... Yeah, the only really thing attack on... Um, yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. Just to, the, the, back the only thing I would tack on to that is, yeah, I think it's go. a legitimate business strategy to not turn on fees, but, but know that you can. So, um, you know, it's just common, you know, Facebook, many, many projects were like this, even Uber, um, you know, they were, uh, I think they should be judged on, on the potential of the fees, potential fees captured, 
um, and not just the, the current fees, yeah. especially projects like Uniswap, because by that metric, Uniswap worth nothing. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a, yeah, almost like a major social uh, platform, like you mentioned, uh, being free for, uh, to grow significantly and then turning on monetization ads and, uh, it ultimately users will stay if they have product market fit. When we, we talk about TBL and it like being like a signal for success, I think that like, it kind of depends on, or like, I guess you need to take that back to step. It's like, is it really a signal for success for who, right? Is it for the protocol? Is it a signal to like me as an investor, as a retail investor to be like, oh, this, this has a high TVL that signals that it's more credible as, you know, ergo, I can assume more people use it. Right. I think it kind of depends on like, I think that signal it's, it's, I guess the, to get to the point, I think it's like important, but it's obviously not the, I, I don't think it's the best metric, but I do think it can serve as a signal. Um, I wouldn't say that it's always necessarily the most successful one. I think there's probably still even some web two metrics that still can in, be maybe not public to us as, uh, you know, as investors or people outside of the organization, you know, people within it though, certainly I think pay attention. Um, and I'd be interested, Julian, right. And, and Gabriel and, and, and Greg to what you guys think, but like, still feel like there's a large degree of web two metrics that are extre extremely yeah. relevant yeah. to indicate how a protocol success is doing. Right. Um. You know, like a burn rate, it has to be one of the most important metrics, especially now in, in kind of a bear market, right? Um, you know? Yeah, that, that's what uh, people are troubling uh, Anchor about all the time, right? Their, uh, their burn rate, their runway uh, looked pretty horrible. Yeah. And I, I think people, uh, the, the skeptics were right. But, uh, <laughs> Historically, the issue is that if you don't, if you're not willing to just throw money at the at a thing, or you're any 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 venture for that, right? Because other people and and I'll even give myself as the example. Yeah, like like we were we raised in the bear market, and a million a little over a million dollars, and then we raised again last year, and and we're very very choosing with our investors, so we raised at a far lower valuation. And we, we have, we, we raised a total of 5.15 million compared to some of our competitors that have raised like 30 plus. Um, so, you know, like, are they really doing anything wrong by throwing money at the issue? Probably not. Um, that said, um, I, man, I don't, I don't even know if he, the metrics are so nebulous in web three that, in, and they're also paid for that. It's all just like, it, it's. It's still so but, fundamental for me that I barely pay attention to many of them, right? Like, yeah. Many of the metrics are just like directly correlated. Yeah, like into the market. That's that's kind of the point. And especially with, the, let's say, if if a protocol is getting thirty million dollars in their Series A, right? Um, then of course this is going to come along with a large amount of deposits into the protocol from the same investors. And then those investors, let's say they might've heard about some airdrop in the example of ribbon. And then all of a sudden there's like a few million dollars across a few hundred accounts that all look like real people, um, and are effectively making your metrics. When, when Danny mentioned, uh, uh when you know, new metrics, the uh, first thing that came to mind, cause yeah. I, I, you know, done some web two stuff, um, our user retention kind of this, you know, we've got, you've got people in that's cool. Uh, but then you keep them and, and how active are they, you know, cause just, just you know, someone registered is not, not enough. Again, it's, it, it would have to be a, a project to project thing, uh, a lending borrowing protocol. You're not going to have daily actives, uh, as being, being the, the primary, but for other projects, maybe, maybe it would be, um, but, but I would, I would love to, to think about that as, as potential, you know, adding to the toolkit of, of metrics, um, to be adopted. Um, I don't know if you guys have any, any thoughts on that. I know Dapp Radar has, Dapp Radar has some good metrics on, um, I think active users over out of you seven day, yeah. day period. Sometimes when I look at it, I'm just like surprised at how few users there are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, 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 especially some of the metaverse projects. Right. So like, um, <laughs> I, I don't want to name any of them yeah. specifically, but 
just like in the hundreds of users, right, on a monthly basis, and and they're valued at the at like similar levels as. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think that's a great point. And you know, there's a glass half place, full, right? glass half empty ahead, perspective to this. Is kind of like, hey, you know, we're we're in a trillion dollar economy now of crypto uh, and in DeFi, you know, different metrics even on that. But let's call it a hundred hundred billion. Um, and you, many of these projects have a hundred, maybe thousand you active users. So glass half empty, Jesus, you know, things that really sucks. Glass half full. We built a trillion dollar economy on this number of users. Can you imagine how it's going to be once we get real mainstream uh, adoption? I mean, that's, that's the way I think about things, but you know, just, just to put some spice into that. I, I think this is really only going to happen once we think of more um, real world applications, meaningly, meaning, you know, it, we got to think of off chain, on chain stuff, um, how we're adding value a little bit out of the, the metaverse, um, as well as, as, you know, the cool stuff that we're doing in our own, in our own universe here. Yeah, I agree. I, I think you're absolutely right on like, we have to figure out because like, ultimately I think where DeFi becomes value isn't necessarily we're looking at it as like an, an investment or in, uh, you know, like a way for us to do financial transactions, um, and ultimately make money off that, but more so it's just the infrastructure, right? I think like that's ultimately where I think DeFi is going to fundamentally move to where, you know, cause with the, with the idea of smart contracts and being able to automate effectively like processes and workflows, it seems, it seems to make so much sense that we can move from. Uh, a title like a, a a home sale right that can take 30 months uh, in the united states just from the point of even like we've agreed to close and go to right that continuously can be on chain it can be like effectively turned into you know only amount only the amount of time necessary to effectively review the deal and validate you know have stage gates along the way so you can go from you know 30-day process to like hours if we needed to you know maybe a week is probably more of a realistic thing just to make sure each party has the opportunity to review things and I think the more we move towards that, that, that use case and right where, where even let's say institutions are using, uh, you know, the efficiency of blockchain technology to facilitate payments, uh, amongst each other. I think like once we get there, that's where, that's where I think DeFi really starts to like unlock its true potential. I, I kind of agree with you. Like, like I got the, the Oculus in the, end of the room metaverse. I think there's a huge use case for it in. Um, gaming, I see that immediately in the, in the shorter term. I, I question sometimes some a little bit more of the longer term of, uh, you know, are we really going to be all meeting in the metaverse for work and all these, other, I, don't, I just, I, what, we will maybe, but I don't think necessarily that that's going to lead to more contentment or fulfillment. You know, I don't think it's going to make us, I don't think that it's going to be like a net positive necessarily uh, to society to just be living in the metaverse as opposed to living in the real. I mean, they're, they're kind of showing still health go down so, for people who use what's your definition of metaverse please to one good point elusive term i would i would yeah just about that i you know i think that there's a lot of different ways to capture it right i, I would say less about the, on the spectrum of centralized versus decentralized, but more as this like a digital world where individuals can interact and engage with each other. I think that, again, there's a spectrum of like, is it immersive or not? And I think more immersive definitely is getting more space of the metaverse, but like we use GatherTown, right? And I, I would say GatherTown is on that spectrum of counting itself in, in the metaverse in some sense, right? Where it's a meeting place for us to come digitally and engage with each other. So. Uh, but I don't know. What do you think? That's like my point of view. Or what's how, how I, look I define it or like, I don't know. This is me making something up right now. So keep that in mind. But I, I, I was kind of, yeah. yeah, I define it mostly yeah. as some like the ability to live digitally. Right. And yeah. this to me isn't just like a game, but this is either all of your social interactions mm -hmm. and all that. That's what most people focus on or a way to live. Right. Make money. And I, for the longest mm -hmm. time, have literally just wanted that to be all people do is inject crypto payment rails into video games and to provide incentivization schemes. Um, I think the historically, so, so for context, I played video game, I played MOBAs professionally before I did crypto. Um, and 
we got up to the final game where we, if we had won, we would be playing in the, in the LCS for League, League of Legends, etc. And by final game, I mean that they have provided an incentivization structure where anybody in the world could go play this tournament. And if you won your way all the way up through the tournament, you would face the last team in the pro league. And if you beat them, you were pro. It was that simple. You could live and you knew exactly how to go from A to B and become a professional. And, and for me, the extension of this and how you really live in the metaverse is you just pay your best players, right? Like how, how much does it really cost to on average pay the top 500 Overwatch players $50,000 a year? And how much do you really get an advertising value from doing so? You know, it's huge. The, the, the incentivization from the top down just by paying your best players is insane. People go fucking insane right now just for a little badge on the profile. What will they do for $50,000? Um, you know, like, do you? Yeah. It, it seems like we can't escape the attention economy, right? What I'm hearing is you're, we're, we're, we're so capitalized. Well, like, attention. that's where we're already at. And it just seems like the issue there is legal, honestly, where like it would kind of turn into child slaves, right? Like it's all children that's earning these, this money. Um, so I get that, but fuck it, fuck it. Just like you get some international crypto company that just makes a regular game and pays people and like just change the incentivization scheme. Um, it to me, in theory, that makes more sense. But then you look at like Axie Infinity, right? Which, you know, I don't want to use the P word, but it certainly relied on, uh, you know, individuals. Like you, you had to assume that someone would come and buy your your axie right for, for for more money uh than you either earn for it or paid for it itself right and that clearly isn't a sustainable instruction like structure right so as soon as that incentive financial kind of went down and clearly they had the the bridge hack right you know that liquidity left that project so quickly right and it, and that was the 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 benchmark of play to earn and the future right? like all this and that and i just think it, to me it makes me question like I do think that there's a world where like the best gamers in the world should be incentivized for that. That is a skill. See, right? that's the that's difference really though, is they weren't incentivizing right. the best gamers. That was like, no, it's but, the difference between yeah, pay to win weren't. and PVP, right? Like if, if, if you're play, play to, sorry, P, uh, uh, win. pay to win is like a, the biggest criticism you can give of a game these days and that, you know, you join it and you're leveling up and then they give you an option to spend 5,000 gold to skip two levels and that 5,000 yeah, gold yeah, costs yeah. $9 and 50 or like $10, but the buy options are only up to $9 and 50 cents. So you actually have to buy it twice, right? Like there, there's these bullshit tricks that people use and actually, this is Axie, right? Like you had to buy your characters. You could buy the best characters to be successful and blah, blah, blah. I'm sure there was some dynamic to it that's competitive, but you, you compare that to, you know, I just want to sell copies of my game and or sell skins, right? Like yeah. how many players will I attract by ensuring that there is a competitive professional public scene that anyone can partake in? Um, and for me, like it's not even close. Again, the reason League of Legends is the game it is today is because of that incentivization scheme. And this has led to the toxic environment that League of Legends is today. Um, and just the insane competitiveness that is from bronze up from like average people up people will go insane playing that game um and it's for a reason right uh, it comes from somewhere um i'm just waiting for people to do this right but well, right, was planning to with with their uh with valorant this was like a big rumor for valorant but i guarantee you that again they get hit regulatory well, issues uh, which web for you you referenced the 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 p word i think yeah. danny referenced the p word you know, I, I don't know if any, we've got just a few minutes left. Does anyone want to step on that landmine and, and start talking about uh, Ponzi's and Ponzi-nomics, given that all that's going on? Or, or Sean, would you like to save that for you? <laughs> uh, okay. They're called flywheels, okay? <laughs> it depends on when you sold in the Ponzi, I think, you know. Good. Good. Some of the new narratives. The, 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 the new narratives that... <laughs> so, yeah. the new narratives which we uh we we think i've learned it's <laughs> sorry so uh, it, <laughs> the, the ponzi's are all uh deflated at this point even step but uh 
well, why don't we talk about some of the new narratives? And uh, I, I think that'll set the vibe for uh, for good uh, good exit. Um, so I, I I wanted to talk about um, so so one, one thing that a few of us are involved with is the NFT financialization uh, space. So Greg, Danny, and myself are going to be helping out with a hackathon that um, that we are working with Macro X as well as One KX on. So would definitely recommend folks to talk uh, to build in this hackathon, which is really focused on. Um, how do we introduce new primitives, new DeFi primitives within the NFT space? There's a lot of interest in sponsors like, um, uh, like NiftyFi, even Ronin, part of Axie, going back to the previous conversation, Decentral Games, SwapSwap, um, Goblin Sack. So a lot of interesting things happening there. Um, I, I think another interesting narrative is, especially if we look at like the DAO world, uh, Gnosis Safe is on a tear. You look at the, uh, even during the bear market, the number of space being added is just growing pretty significantly um, overall. We we have refi. Uh, we talked with Spirals Protocol. Actually, think about the climate impacts. And you, um, how do you get folks? This probably is the broader spectrum of people. Users into the space because they are really concerned about the climate impact and the like. So, this is a way for projects to actually add that. And then we have new chains like Sweet, new L1s. Um, we, we talked, uh, I talked with Sam Blackshear yesterday just about Sweet and the opportunities that it builds. And they even specifically call out finance and they have some examples of, uh, for example, uh, flash loans and other types of projects, which, which can be built on this relatively efficiently. So, uh, what I wanted to end up is just like, what, what, what projects are you all excited about moving forward? And in some of these new narratives, what, what can we be excited about? World down in this market. Um, and they're both figuratively and, and literally in some I don't, I don't know if this, this counts as a project or more kind of a, a movement, but the kind of the, the ZK EVM, uh, projects are really getting me excited. I think it's solving multiple problems. Uh, simultaneous or it has the potential to solve multiple problems, scalability, privacy, uh, and, and, and still maintain kind of the, the ecosystem without throwing a wrench in everyone's plans to learn new languages and what have you. So I don't know that, that gets me pretty excited. I think that people. People underestimate how much is going on in DeFi. And I think a lot of developers and people in general are still scared to go to the next level of rehypothecation. In that, you know, right now there's protocols like myself, like Swivel, where we're built on top of Compound. And, you know, in general, a lot of people are willing to accept this one layer of, you know, DeFi. They call it building blocks, but there's really only like one floor. Um, and I think really that next step is what we're going to be seeing, right? We saw an explosion of funding last year for DeFi projects, which are doing that like ex that next layer. Um, and everyone that is going to be successful coming out of that is having folks build on top of them. Uh, I would give a specific example in the fixed rate space because that's what I'm familiar with. Um, we're building an aggregator that aggregates all the fixed rates, which is like that. that is the next step on our end. And then beyond that, there's a really cool protocol called Contango, which is building uh, expirable futures markets on top of fixed rates as well. Um, and then there's another really cool project called FiatDAO, which is building lending markets specifically for um, the, the derivatives that pop out of fixed rates, right? These are all extremely cool and like they, they serve the entire narrative of this contiguous ecosystem where everything is module and everything can kind of work together. Uh, and then that's when you really get stuff that DeFi can do that TradFi can't. And the specific example that I like to give is, let's say you're lending using Swivel or any of our competitors. You end up with an IOU that says, I'm able to get $100 by December 31st. Well, you have an IOU. Traditionally, this IOU is fucking useless. Um, mm -hmm. you, you, you kind of are just stuck with it. In DeFi, you can program in and someone will know that by this date, you will have that money and you can write options with it, right? So 
all of a sudden you're able to do something in DeFi you can't traditionally. You're able to lend and underwrite an option at the same time. Um, these are like, there's a ton of this. This is like obviously exclusive to, to, to what we're working on, but there's a, a lot more going on in DeFi than people kind of are giving credit for, at least for now. Yeah. You guys got anything interesting? What, give me what Windows is working on a little bit and you're pumped for. Danny, Gabriel. I want to hear what he has to say. Yeah. I do have one similar use case, actually, going back to the uh, financialization of NFTs, as was the topic that Sean suggested. There are a couple of, of um, protocols or ideas that came out of Kernel. One of them is, of course, Charged Particles, which are basically trying to power NFTs with financial services. Uh, There's a very cool project. Uh, what, I, what I like is... So in this kind of financialization of NFTs is basically uh, using NFTs as collateral for all kinds of DeFi applications like loans or, or uh, trying to do some liquidity provisioning using NFTs as your collateral or once you're backing up your position. Um, also, a couple of problems in there. So how can you really define the, the value of the NFT you're holding? Is it really only the floor price or can you try to price it in a different way like the inherent value of the community or is there a different kind of uh, indicator there that you can predict the value of the NFT on. Um, but this kind of using NFTs as part of your portfolio is what also gets me excited in this, in this new world, I would say. So it's obviously for me, I'm super stoked for Deep Balancer, Window and Swivel. These are literally the best, the best companies in this, in, in the entire DeFi space. Uh, um, yeah. For sure. Bring on DeFi Summer 3. I mean, I think it's, it's got, watch out for these. You know, a couple things that I think certainly I think in this next wave, uh, uh, right, is thinking about DAOs. I'm, I'm pretty, like, I think that there's a lot of opportunity to really uh, harness, ca like, bring capital together. Sean, I know you're very bullish on investment, and I think that's like makes so much sense. And I, so I think there's no, a huge element of treasury management within that, really being able to, like, use that capital that maybe would just be sitting there and, and deploy it in ways uh, that traditionally I don't think normal finance would al allow for, right? So I think there's something there. I think also DSI, de decentralized science is something that like, I just think it's so cool, the concept, right? Uh, the idea that individuals can come together and say they have a rare disease and they, they organize and coordinate in a way that effectively, you know, helps finance and even bring to markets and trial drugs in ways that, that really provide therapies for others. I think as well with like refi, you talked about it. I think that there's like some of me of these, like just go plant a tree, right? Like, you know, sometimes, but I think that there is beauty in bringing the carbon markets on chain. And I really like what the guys at 2Can are doing. And I think there's also an opportunity to kind of even leverage like Oracleize uh, geospatial data in, in ways that, um, again, I think the kernel project, uh, Astral, I believe is the name of it. I'm doing some cool stuff there. And then, uh, uh, Greg, I know we've talked about this before too, but like the opportunity to bring all like real tangible assets, such as like homes, cars, things of this nature, and bring those on chain and automate that workflow and, you know, facilitate that value capture in ways. And then the last thing I think that's kind of untapped is this concept of loyalty, right? I think that I used to, you know, I'm a consultant, right? So I got all the points in the world, right? I think that there's a huge opportunity for that element. So also those points to effectively become on chain and then to be able to use that as actual liquidity where in the past you never could do that. Right. And I see some individuals building towards that future as well. So I have a whole list. Sean, that you have to go. That I had to write down just to make sure I, I can talk with Gabe without answering. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah I watch a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so I, I think obviously, um, some of the things I, I brought up initially in the question, I'm really excited about NFT financialization. I, I think that just unlocks a whole new level of opportunity beyond just profile picture, uh, trading basically, which is the current market. Um, in some DAOs, super bullish on, I, I wouldn't be involved with Hydra Ventures DAO. But if I wasn't bullish on investment DAOs, I think every internet community can have an investment DAO. Um, has their own talent pool, has their own deal flow, uh, has opportunities to to build. And I think that's going to be an asset class on par, if not greater than mm -hmm. the capital itself. Uh, and then finally, I, I'd say very similar to you, Danny, 
uh, refi and DeFi are interesting to me. I don't know if it's the right time for refi. Yeah. Right now, the, world, the whole world is not focused on climate change right now. We're, uh, we're, we're focused on just surviving, but I, I think that may be a narrative afterwards. And then DeFi, I still work in the biotech industry. So I, I think that's a super interesting area, especially combined with some of the different technologies we have. So I'm, I'm optimistic. Um, I, I will say one last um, shout out to you all. Thank you all for joining. Um, I, I think this has been a, a, a great conversation. Um, wanted to, uh, one, make a call out to the NFT finance hackathon that's happening, happening August 16th through 30th. Danny, Greg, and I out with that and thanks to peter pan for involving us with that um bitcoin is running a money legos hackathon starting monday so definitely encourage others to to join and uh, we are really excited about the start of the kb7 fellowship on september 9th so we have a lot in store i think we have a second kind of live-ish podcast that we're, we're planning to, to share more details about that so stay tuned for that i think probably early mid-september and uh with that, um, I'll, I'll make it a, I'll make it a wrap. So, uh, it was uh, great having you all on. Thank you for joining for the live broadcast and uh, whoever listens to the recorded session would love to, uh, thanks, thanks so, so much. We are Colonel B5 pod on Twitter. Uh, Danny, Julie, Greg, thanks for joining. Yeah. Thanks yeah, for working. Nice. Thank you. Really good day.